passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. All right, welcome in to the Hoisted Colors podcast on this Friday afternoon. I'm Stephen Igo, host of the podcast, publisher of hoistedcolors.net, joined by our now regular uh, football insider, Macy O'Donnell, yeah. who a uh, former ECU football player who has now joined us for three previous podcasts. This is his fourth. We're, we're delving into new territory, Macy, with some offensive line talk. The real question is, are you ready? Do you feel prepared? Uh, yes, I feel prepared enough. Um, you know, the O-line, they're very important. Um, not too much to talk about with them, <laughs> but definitely some key things that we could focus on for sure. No doubt. You can't win without a, an offensive line. And I yeah. mean, it was a struggle for years in the Scotty Montgomery era and early on in Mike Houston's era, but those guys put in the work. They progressed, and, and you know, Holton Aylers get gets a lot of credit for last year. The Keaton Mitchell, Rajah Harris have gotten a lot of credit. The receivers, but without the O line, without those guys, none of that's possible. So we'll talk a lot about that as we continue on with the show. We are live on YouTube, live on Facebook, and uh, we we also are live on Twitter. So drop your questions if you got any on Facebook and YouTube, and we'll get to those questions throughout the show. Otherwise, we'll just keep rolling on. Uh, Maceo, I saw you last night at the uh, the Pirate uh, Sports Network, uh, ECU Sports Network launch party. You were there with some former teammates. Was it good to be back in, in Daddy Ficklin Stadium catching up with some of your uh, your former teammates? Yeah, definitely. I haven't seen some of those guys um, in the past few months, so it was definitely good to see them. Got to talk a lot about the fall and how everyone's feeling. 
um, especially Rajay, Jeremy Lewis, Juju, um, some of those guys I'm expecting to have really big years. Um, so definitely it was good to see them and a lot of the staff also. Yeah, we had a few guys uh, on the show. Mason Garcia joined us. By the way, if you, if you missed it, 94.3 The Game, we had a special broadcast from the launch party. You can check it out on the 94.3 The Game YouTube page for anybody listening who hasn't seen it. We had Mason and Rajay on, so it was good to catch up with those guys. We also had Kim McNeil, Mike Schwartz, Blake Carroll, uh, others as well, a couple of baseball players, Carter Cunningham, Jacob Starling. So check that out on the 94.3 The Game Facebook page, kind of a special summer edition there. All right, Maceo, let's talk about this team. And we've talked quarterback, we've talked running back, receiver, and tight end, man. But it's just – it's the most overlooked position by people who, who don't know football. It's the offensive line. And, you know, so much goes into what happens up front. It's honestly amazing. Like when I'm out there at practice and, and you know, having been watching Steve Shankweiler for years, obviously he's now moved into a different role. But he's just yeah. so detailed, so meticulous. Alan Mogridge seems like he's the same way. We'll talk about that change in a little bit. But just there's so much that goes in the offensive line people don't know about. Just kind of what can you speak on with that, uh, being a, a running back and a receiver who's kind of seen it all unfold in front of you? Yeah, well, you're definitely right when you say that um, it's probably the most overlooked position on the entire football team. Um, a lot of those guys, uh, you don't really know what they're doing or if they do good or bad, um, unless it's right in your face and obvious. But, you know, the O-line is very, very important. You know, Holton and Rajan and Keaton, like you said, wouldn't be able to do what they could do um, without the O-line and even the receivers having enough time to actually run their route and Holton or whoever the quarterback is being able to get them the ball. Um, so, yeah, they're very important. Um, they don't get enough credit. You know, internally they get a lot of credit because you definitely need them. But um, looking from the outside in, they definitely don't get a lot of credit for sure. I mean, I just – you know, Coach Shankwire put it best. He's always like, you know, when your goal is to – try and move a 300 pound person against yeah. his will. Like that's just, like, and you have to do yeah. it 70, 80 times a game. Uh, is this extremely difficult? You can't just roll out there and be like a big dude and think you're just going to move somebody that big, just based yeah. on power. So you got to work on technique fundamentals, uh, you know, certain strength in your body. You know, you could have a, you know, a nice frame and be big and powerful, but unless you're strong in the hips and flexible, you're not going to be able to move people or block people. So it's a, it's an interesting really phenomenon because in run blocking trying to move them forward and pass blocking you're trying to basically get run over slowly so yeah. uh it's uh it's a different dynamic but in really for me maceo and we'll get into the personnel here in a second you know the quarterback it, obviously the mason garcia oxlin conversation is critical because it's the quarterback position i think the running back room will be okay i think the receivers will be okay to me, a lot of this offensive success hinges on the offensive line. They brought in three transfers, which we'll get into. But um, this is, to me, maybe the most critical position on the team outside of quarterback, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, if you definitely look at the last, you know, five years, um, you know, I can speak on that since I've been there. But, you know, those first probably three years when we were really still developing the, the, um, the offensive line, you know, Holton was running for his life a lot of those times. And, you know, he took a lot of hits and, um, I look back and always think back to when we played Georgia State um, a few years ago and, you know, Holton was really taking a beating up front. And, you know, it's, it's kind of hard for everyone else because, you know, if the O-line is kind of lacking at certain times. You know, the quarterback can, you know, maybe not trust them. And then at that point it messes up the receivers and often the running backs as well. Um, so they're very, very important. And, you know, I think we've improved on that the last few years, and we are definitely have lost some people in the O-line who've, who've been very important to us 
Um, but, you know, that just gives somebody else an opportunity to step up and to, you know, fill a role. Maceo, when you look at, you know, just the, the, the way this, this culture with the football team is, I mean, you guys seem so close on and off the field when you were on the yeah. team. And to me, like when I look at the offensive line, they, they maybe they kind of do their own thing at times. Like you got to be a little different to play O-line. But, yeah. uh, you know, what's that dynamic like? They all seem to kind of hang out together because you have to have that bond as O-linemen to know each other's ticks and, and everything on and off the field. And but if you're the quarterback or running back and you're trying to get them to block for you, you got you got to be be pretty good with them too. So what's that you know relationship like with the O line as a skill player? Yeah, I mean usually you know everyone's really close, but definitely you know that quarterback O line, running back O line relationships are are usually very very close. Um, you know Rajay and Keaton in the past, Marlon Gunn have to rely a lot on that O line to know to get what they want and to have success in their field. And at the same time, that works with the quarterbacks. Um, so, you know, they're always usually pretty close. Um, a lot of trust, a lot of, you know, communication between those guys. And even on game days and at practices as well, you know, they're talking a lot. Um, if you're playing a close attention, there's a lot of pointing, uh, yelling, going up to listen to see what they're saying. So it's definitely a lot. And you have to have a lot of trust and communication to do your job. All right. We got a question from a listener. He's uh, why so why are you so mean to me uh, is his username. But he's got, he's got a good question because we're going to talk about a number of these guys in a minute. He says, hey, Steven and Maceo, who has the best chance of breaking out this year between the following? And he, he's basically saying, would you pick Parker Moore, Jacob Sacra, Walter Stribling, or the field? Uh, those are some good names there. Maceo, I'll, I'll let you go first, and, and let's get your answer on who you think could break out there among that group. Yeah, I would definitely say any of those three guys could could do that. Parker Moore, he's probably the oldest of the bunch um, and the one who's had the most experience. You know, I think he's going to be a six-year guy this year. Um, so I definitely see him stepping into a larger role. Like I said earlier, we lost a lot of guys last year. Noah Henderson, um, Jay Red, um, Avery Jones, and Nashad Strother. So we lost, you know, four out of our five starting O-linemen. So um, I don't think it's just going to be one person that has to step up. It's going to be at least, you know, three, probably four guys that we're not used to really seeing too much. Um, but I definitely say Parker is probably on the top of that list, especially since he's an older head. He ha he does play a lot in the games. If you look back at last season, he got a lot of snaps with us. But also Walt Stribling, you know, I sat beside him in the locker room for the past two years. Um, so I know he's probably getting ready to go this year and kind of recognizing, you know, he has a big chance. Um, and Saker, he's a younger guy, so I still think he has probably a learning curve. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw him out there um, eventually too on Saturdays. Yeah, I think among the lists, you, you kind of have to go – if you were trying to bet, like Parker Moore is the best bet because he yeah. – to me, he's probably going to be your, your starting left tackle. We'll talk about the tackles here in a second. Um, but he, like you said, Macy, he's played the most. He was a, a starter for half a season at West Virginia, came here. He was basically the third tackle last year behind Red and, and Noah Henderson. Uh, helped spell Noah with his back injury every now and then. and. Um, I'm very high on Jacob Sacra. I think he's going to play. You know, I don't know if he'll start this year, but I think he's going to be in the rotation at some point. And then I think Stribling, this is, you know, this is his time, year four in the program. There's a question mark at offensive tackle. And let's transition there. We'll, we'll, we'll go position by position here, Maceo, with the offensive line. And, um, you know, I kind of wrote down my projected depth chart based on how I saw it in the spring and also some additions. And, you know, I kind of see them having four – top offensive tackles and really three guys I feel good about that they you know we talked about Parker Moore he was working at left tackle in the spring under new offensive line coach Alan Mogridge 
Uh, Owen Murphy is a two-year starter from Akron they brought in. I think he'll probably compete with Walter Stribling at right tackle. And then Eli Samples is a redshirt freshman who I have as the backup left tackle. You got other guys who can play tackle, so maybe they would kick somebody out there if needed. Uh, but I, I really see Parker, Owen Murphy, and Stribling as the top tackles here, and I think more will start. To me, it's about the other side. Is it going to be the Akron transfer, Owen Murphy, or is it going to be Stribling, a guy who's been in the program? Just your thoughts on that position battle. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of those guys, especially Walt, you know, just watching from practice, those guys get experience pretty much, you know, at all positions. Um, you know, Coach Shank has tried to really train those guys and let them get experience, you know, not just on left tackle, but right tackle as well. Um, also, it's a, it's a big trust factor. And I like how you said, you know, Parker Moore, probably that left tackle because it's flipped now. You know, Holton was a lefty, so his, his backside was Noah Henderson, usually that right tackle protecting him. Um, but now it's kind of flipped with Mason and Alex being righties. So that left tackle is going to be very important for them. Um, so I definitely see Parker Moore taking that, you know, probably that left tackle spot. Um, and I think it's really a toss up for the right tackle. I think, you know, who the quarterbacks really feel most comfortable with and who really just does their job on a, on a, on a daily and consistent basis. It'll be interesting from the standpoint of you got a guy who's, who's played a lot in Owen Murphy yeah. And, but he didn't play much last year after coaching change at Akron. But then you've got Stribling, who's been in the program, uh, who has developed and, and kind of waited for this moment. And, and I, I feel like I, – I don't know. For me, basically, like I look at a guy like Stribling and some other guys like Richard Pierce and um, even Isaiah Foote going into last year. Like if you're a guy who has been here three years, you've seen the guy in front of you maybe move on, you've redshirted, you've waited your time, you've worked the scout team, you've, you've been a backup, you've traveled, all that stuff. Like how – how hungry are those guys going into this preseason camp at this point? Like you would think that this would be kind of their, their moment to shine. Yeah. I mean, guys are hungry every year, you know, regardless of, you know, freshman, red shirt, freshman, you know, junior, senior guys are really hungry, but you know, they're really, really hungry, starving when, you know, they've been sitting and then the guy that was in front of them leaves. So, you know, it's a wide open spot. Um, so guys are definitely going to be eager to fill those positions and to get on the field. Um, like you said, Richard Pierce is, is another guy that's been with us for a few years, very strong guy, um, could definitely play some of those guard positions as well. Um, but definitely Walt for sure. You know, I think he has a big opportunity, a really huge opportunity. Um, and it, it can be a, a challenge as well because he has been here for a few years, but we also have a new O-line coach. Um, so they're still kind of in the process of getting to know him and of him getting to know the the players. Yeah, let's let's talk about the guard position and – we should talk about Isaiah Foote because he's the only returning full-time yeah. starter from a year ago. Yeah. Uh, and this guy, man, I tell you what, um, it was like his shoulder would pop out every every <laughs> other game. And he's got to be one of the toughest dudes I've, I've seen play. Macy, what was it like seeing Foote go out there really with, you know, one good shoulder all season long and perform at a pretty high level? Yeah, I mean, he had a great year last year, and I think he might have been a guy that you might not have expected to, you know, be that starter and to kind of hold that position all year. Um, but he definitely did his job if you go back and look at the film. And, you know, before his, you know, shoulder problems, we were kind of like – before we knew, we were just kind of like, you know, bro, get up because um, he was hurting at every game. But it was definitely valid, and, you know, I think he's th throughout that healing process now. Um, but you can definitely tell he's the type of guy that will always – be out there, you know, has some guts, you know, has some strength and some courage out there. So that's always important, especially O-line, because, you know, you're getting hit every play. Um, it's different being on the outside or even at running back. Sometimes you don't really have to get hit, but those guys are up every play and having contact with another grown man. So 
Um, I think Foot was a very big part of us, and I think he'll be a big part of the offensive line this year. And Foot too, for for me, like I look at this offensive line group, and you you've got maybe like Parker could be a leader. You know, Hampton Ergel could be a leader. We'll talk about him in a second. Yeah. Is Foot is he is he more of a quiet guy, or is he a guy you could see? you know, kind of transform. And now that he's been the really the one guy who's played the most uh, into kind of a leader in that, in that room. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he has to um, I, naturally, I don't think he's, you know, that vocal leader. He's more of like the, you know, lead by example type of guy. Um, but like we said earlier, we lost four out of our five starting, you know, O-lineman last year, Noah Henderson, who was a fifth year guy, very big leader on the O-line and also the team. Um, we also lost, Nashad Strother, who had been with the program for four years, so he was a very vocal leader as well. Um, so I, I think out of necessity, we're definitely going to need Foot to be, you know, that vocal leader and to kind of show the guys how it's done and, you know, how Coach Houston and Coach K and the O-line coach wants it to go. Um, but there's definitely other guys that I think can step up and might be more of a, um, you know, more of a vocal leader just naturally, but just haven't had that experience and that playing time to back it up. Um, but I definitely think Foot will be probably that leader of the group this year. So I've got Isaiah, if he's healthy, projected as a starting right guard, which he, he was all of last season. He missed the spring, and you know, Nashad was in for the spring, so you still had one returning starter at that point. But basically, with Nashad gone now, you, you have none of your starting returning offensive linemen performing in the spring. And so it was a brand-new brand new group. Uh, Richard Pierce and Jacob Saker both got a, a lot of playing time in the spring with the first and second team. Saker got some center reps as well so he can snap the football. But I'm looking at these two guys, and you've got others too, like Kaziah Everett. Uh, Amari Allen's been in the program now. Cameron Durant was a, a, a true freshman who got some snaps in the spring on the interior offensive line. Zion Wilson and a couple other guys. But to me, like I see Richard Pierce and Saker as guys who – are big, strong enough to play D1 offensive line. It's just a matter of they need the experience. So what's kind of your your assessment on those two guys? You've seen them for a, a few years now. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And um, I think Richard might be – maybe they might be the same class or Richard might be a little bit older. Um, but like we said earlier, guys are just waiting their turns. And, you know, I think it's, you know, kind of their opportunity and their time to, you know, show everyone what they've got. Um, at the same time, you know, the other guys on the line have to trust them as well. Um, they're, they probably are the most vocal positions on the entire offense, honestly, with the communication they have with the quarterbacks and running backs, um, pointing out the mics, IDing who's supposed to be ID, you know, changing the blocking scheme um, mid-play. Um, so I definitely think it, it's very important that everyone trusts each other who, who's up there because it's not just individually, you know, I block this guy and you block this guy. Um, but, you know, things could change very, very fast. And I think you have to have a lot of, you know, communication skills and trust in one another to do your job effectively. So Dustin Hall was brought in as a grad transfer from South yeah. Florida. I, I should say he was brought in from Duke because he <laughs> he transferred from USF to Duke and went through spring there. Wasn't real happy. I talked to Dustin after he committed to ECU and just, you know, he, he kind of made the comment, hey, I wanted to, to try out what it would be like to play for a power five school. And he did that at Duke. didn't really like it. He wanted to reunite with Alan Mogridge who came from USF. So he's now at ECU. And that basically happened like a day after Nishad Strother entered the portal. So kind of a nice plug and play there. Um, obviously you would love to have Nishad back. We can get into that conversation too about Nishad and Avery leaving. But, you know, I, I think more than likely Dustin Hall would slot in as a starting guard or at least compete for one. So 
a lot of people were freaking out Maceo when uh, when Nashad left, and yeah. he's a good player, so I get it. But getting Dustin Hall, I think, is gonna you know gonna pay immediate dividends too. Yeah, definitely, especially since he's um, played with the new coach um, at USF previously. I definitely think they probably have a good relationship, and you know, just being a guy who's been you know in college for a few years can only help. Um, so you can have that actual game experience and. Um, you know, know what it's like to be out there when the when the fire is actually out there and it's not fake anymore. Um, so I definitely think, you know, Dustin Hall and probably Richard or Jacob could probably, you know, do that left guard or right guard, you know, which either one. Um, I think they definitely fit there. Yeah, I feel pretty good about that group as a whole. Um, the guard group, like Isaiah Foote, Dustin Hall, Pierce, Sacra, and, uh, and moving to the centers, Ryan Beckman was brought in as an acro transfer. He's played guard as well. Hampton Urgle can play guard. So, to me, I feel like I feel good about guard. I think guard's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, for me, center and tackle are the question marks. And the the, the only good thing about Avery leaving early last year, Maceo, was uh, it, it allowed Ergel to start the the bowl game, and he yeah. he went up against a a beast of a nose tackle in Coastal Carolina and performed mm-hmm. well. So uh, he's worked to tackle guard center in the past in practice. He he looks like he's going to stay at center for now. He's got to be the biggest center in college football. <laughs> the big boy. Uh, but him and then Ryan Beckman, again, two-year starter from Akron. Didn't play a whole lot last year, but is brought in along with Owen Murphy. So I, I think it'll be Ergel Beckman battering, battling there, two different types of centers. What do you kind of make of that, you know, that matchup and what you've seen from Hampton as a guy who's, who's been in the program a long time? Yeah, Hampton, you know, it was probably a, a blessing in disguise, depending on how you look at it, that, you know, Avery decided not to play in the bowl game. And, you know, that gave Hampton an opportunity to really be out there and show what he's got, um, especially a game like that where you really wanted to win bad, you know, the first bowl win. And I don't even know how long. It's been a long time. Too long. Um, so I think that was definitely, yeah, I think that was definitely a, a blessing in disguise for us. And um, at the same time, Hampton's, you know, very smart guy, um, very likable guy, very trustworthy guy. Um, and at the same time, he's got a little bit of stuff to him as well. You know, he's not going to take anything. Um, he's probably one of the most, you know, aggressive um, guys I've known and, and kind of seen, um, especially when he gets a little bit mad and gets some fire under him. Um, but definitely the the kid from Akron as well. I mean, he's been a starter. So, you know, there's some trust there. There's some experience there that, that Hampton might not have. Um, and there's definitely a size difference. I think he's a little bit smaller than Hampton. Hampton's a very big player. Um, but especially that position, I mean, the whole O-line in general, but especially center, that's a very, very um, important position. You know, that's the person who has the ball besides the quarterback every single play. Um, and even when the quarterback doesn't have the ball, sometimes, you know, the center has the ball every single play. Um, so ball security is very important and fumbling and things like that uh, aren't acceptable, um, especially when the game starts. So um, that position is also a position of trust and confidence that, you know, he's going to go out there and do his job every single play. We always hear Maceo about the center calling out the mic or ID in the mic and all that yeah. stuff, or whether it be the quarterback or so. So when when they're doing that, what exactly are they are they doing for the offense? Are they adjusting how who's you know basically who's blocking who based on where the mic is, or what, what does that basically identify? Yeah, essentially, it just kind of starts. Sometimes it depends on you know which way they're going and you know who's blocking who, and it kind of sets it up for the running back as well. Um, I got to learn that when I played some running back the last couple of years at ECU. But, um, you know, it kind of helps the running back, in my opinion, from my perspective. You know, a lot of the times they would mic it to where, you know, the backs wouldn't have to block, you know, the middle linebacker. And maybe you could block like the Sam or the, the Will, some smaller guys usually instead of getting a guy run, running directly at you. Um, but at the same time, you know, 
the quarterbacks have a lot of control over that as well. And especially Holton as a, a older guy, I mean, he could really go out there and call the plays by himself if he really wanted to. And if coach Houston and coach K let him, um, but definitely those guys, it's a lot of communication and it's just making sure everything's in order. And even sometimes, you know, you can go um, a little bit more advanced. And if you know, if you're, if you're miking the safety or miking the, you know, outside linebacker, then the, then the slot receivers know they, they go up to the other safety. So things like that um, definitely helps out. And you can iron, iron out some of those wrinkles um, with just the communication and talking between themselves. So we've gone through now the, the two deep, or at least kind of how we projected. Again, this is unofficial, uh, kind of what I've seen in the spring and also have heard. So I'm, I'm looking at – I was told years ago – I can't remember if it was Shank or a previous O-line coach, but basically an offensive line coach, they would love to have 10, 12 guys they really trust. But if they have eight, you feel pretty good going into game day, basically that you know you could play. And I'm, I'm trying to count now. So Owen Murphy, one. Walter Stribling, two. Isaiah Foote, three, Richard Pierce, four, Jacob Saker, five, Hampton Ergel, six, Ryan Beckman, seven, Dustin Hall, eight, Parker Moore, nine. So to me, that like those are nine guys you feel pretty good about based on experience, development. And then you've got this other group of, of Eli Samples, again, Richard Freshman, who got some tackle time in the spring, Amari Allen, Kazai Everett's been in the program a while. You've got three true freshmen, Marlio Neolian. Cameron Durant, Jamarian McCrimmon, and then uh, several walk-ons, Zion Wilson, Emmanuel Poku, Grant Copeland, Trey Hardison, and Will Coates. So, to me, is there anybody else in that in that second group? You know, Kazai may be the guy you're most familiar with because he's been in the program a while, and he's a local kid from Farmville Central. Anybody in that other group okay. that, you know, could step up? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely Big K has been around for a while as well, has a lot of you know, experience and learning experience, you know, just from being in college for however long he's been in there. Um, but also Amari Allen, um, I think he's about to be maybe a redshirt freshman this year. He's a bigger guy, um, a guy that I think that, you know, the coaches probably want to give a chance to see what he can do. Um, but at the same time, you know, O-Lyman, you got to really be able to trust them. So unless you're just, you know, obviously one of the better guys, you know, as a freshman, you know, most of the time you got to wait your turn and kind of learn from the guys in front of you. Yeah, it is a ton of development. If you're playing, yeah. you know, I've always said if you're playing freshman or true freshman, retro freshman on the O-line, that it is not ideal. You you, yeah. you really don't want to. Um, yeah. And the good news is from that list I just read off, I, I think Saker would be the only redshirt freshman. And, you know, Samples would be if he plays as well. I think ideally you want to give those guys as much time as possible. Though Saker's yeah. a big boy. He came in ready yeah. to ready to roll. Um <laughs> So somebody else said, this is a good question as well. And, you know, y'all were pretty, pretty predominantly a zone team, you know, running yeah. team the last few years, Maceo. And I, I actually researched this when they hired Alan Mogridge um, because I, I always noticed that South Florida could run the ball. They weren't a very good team. But USF was, they were about half and half as far as, you know, gap power running. And you guys were predominantly zone under Shankwaller. So I'm curious, um, you know, did y'all work any gap running when you were in the running back room or was it all zone based on personnel? And, and do you feel like that could be a tough transition if ECU tries to go to more power running versus, uh, you know, I guess kind of a mix versus just zone running as a, as a yeah. running back? Yeah, well, I mean, we really worked on everything, to be honest. But, you know, some of our strengths are really those zone plays, you know, inside zone, outside mid zone. Um, you know, especially with the personnel we had in Keaton Mitchell, we ran a lot of outside zone to try to get him on the edge or – you know, get him stretching the defense out and making putting his foot in the ground and cutting up field. 
Um, but, you know, I definitely think we'll stick to a lot of the things we've done. Obviously, we, we do practice a lot of different things where there's gap power schemes um, at the same time. But, you know, the offense is the offense. So I don't think the O-line coach really dictates too much, um, you know, how the offense or the run plays will be um, as far as a offense as a whole. Um, he definitely is going to bring some different things that they'll probably want to try that, is, that are new. I, I know this year we have more of a, in my opinion, more of a power running back room um, rather than speed. Um, so I think, you know, maybe we could see some of those power and gap schemes as well. Um, but it's definitely just depends on the personnel and, you know, the O-line up there, what they can do and what the coaches feel comfortable in, in, in their abilities. Yeah, and I think the spring was kind of a, a filling out period for mm -hmm. some of that stuff, and they did some different things. And I, I really don't know, and they probably don't want me to know what's you know <laughs> what schemes are going to be running going to the yeah. season. Uh, but either way, like it's, I think it's a good thing, Maceo, that you've got kind of this offensive line room that has experience running a lot of zone schemes, and you know, like you said, y'all practice a lot. But it doesn't hurt to have a fresh perspective. So maybe this yeah. offensive line coach coming in. You know, along with Raekwon, you know, moving over to running backs coach, maybe they do add some new wrinkles that Michigan, App State, Marshall won't be ready for early in the season. I think that's a positive, or you could just lean on what you've done well. But I do yeah. think getting a guy like Marlon and, you know, even Rajay to an extent going more vertical downhill rather than, you know, focusing on the horizontal. We know Keaton could outrun everybody and hit that one yeah. cutback and, and doing it uh but uh yeah it'll be interesting to see how it how it transpire uh transpires um all right last question from why why are you so mean to me he says last question for giggles you put the entire line of room in an all-you-can-eat buffet who's doing the most damage i'm gonna have to rely on maceo for this because he's got the inside uh inside scoop who, who do you think's putting down the most they're all put down the most damage <laughs> All of them. Um, but if I could think one on top of my head, probably Richard Pierce. I know he's a big cooking guy. And I remember, um, you know, him and a couple other guys got in trouble when they were true freshmen um, in the dorms. They were cooking like a steak on the grill uh, in the dorm room. Um, oh, no. so, you know, <laughs> so, you know, those guys can eat um, regardless. But I definitely say Richard Pierce. He's probably one guy that will, um, you know, he'll definitely eat him and watch dribbling. They had the they also had the wings over Greenville NIL deal. Is there any <laughs> any word if that's coming back? Do you know? I'm sure it's probably coming back. Yeah. You know, those guys, you know, free food for anybody, but definitely those guys, uh, they'll definitely want to eat. But I don't know if, you know, Wings Over want to do that because they might put them out of business. So, <laughs> Yeah, I love some Wings Over. A little, little expensive, but, hey, you got to pay for quality <laughs> wings. But uh, yeah. uh, something else I wanted to ask you about, just the – before we get out of here, and we are going to pick our favorite O-line um, players of all time in ECU history, if we can do that. But obviously, Avery and Nashad, that you know, they played here a long time. They move on, and look, I, we've talked about this on and off the show before. But like, they got good NIL deals. I don't think you can blame any player for for doing what they did. Um, and you know, as a as a guy who you know is a former player, was a former teammate of them, when stuff like that happens, you know, do you kind of uh, I don't know how do you look at it as a player, as a teammate of those guys? Like, are you happy for them? Or are you like, man, I wish they would have stayed? Or is it more of a, you know, go get your success elsewhere? You've done your time here sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, you're definitely happy for them. And, and if it was any of us and you were given that opportunity, I mean, 98% of, you know, the guys would have taken that opportunity. Um, but, you know, that's kind of what college football is turning into these days, you know, NIL and you know, players being able to get compensated for, you know, what they do on the field is turning into a, 
you know, a huge thing for the NCAA and huge thing in, in college football as well. Um, you know, those guys were local products. I knew them very well personally, came from the same area, Havelock, North Carolina, Avery and Nishad. Um, and, you know, you can't be mad at them. And, you know, if I were them, you know, I'd be gone probably quicker than they could be gone as well. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's just how it's going. And the coaches understand that. And, you know, the players understand that as well. So I don't think it's any hard feelings. Um, but it's just kind of where things are headed now. And at the same thing, we lost those two guys. Um, we got in some more guys. Um, so, you know, it's, it's working both ways. That's the thing is it, it just – there's a cycle. There's a unfortunate pecking order. And I, I'll say this, too, for anybody listening who has not gotten behind Team Boneyard and the NIL Collective here, you know, I know that it's not doing this the same amount as, as some, some of the bigger schools in the country, but just having a presence and continuing to grow that is very important. So if you're not behind NIL and you don't realize kind of what that means for college athletics going forward, definitely try and support it if, it, if you can within your means because it is important to – to, uh, to keep BCU competing with the rest of college football and specifically their conference. There are other teams in this league that are doing big NIL things. And ECU is starting to catch up, but definitely has more room to grow. All right, Maceo, let's pick our favorite ECU offensive lineman of all time. Um, if, if we can, I'll, I'll let you go first. Uh, I think I, I got three or four, actually, um, ECU favorite offensive line. Uh, I'll start with Noah Henderson. Um, you know, a good friend of mine came in together, the class of 2018. We were the last um, Coach Montgomery uh, class and, you know, this last fifth year class that won the bowl game this year. Um, so Noah Henderson's my one. I will go uh, Avery and Ashad actually is my two and three, you know, local guys. I played AAU basketball with Avery growing up. Um, his cousin was my high school coach as well. So we have a really good relationship in the style Strother. Um, as well as from the 252 and from Havelock, North Carolina. Um, and my fourth would be CJ Strzok. He's another local guy. was at West Carter High School. Um, so, you know, I'm going with the local guys. And, you know, one of my good boys, Noah Henderson, um, came in together and did a lot of things together. So those, that's my top four. I really enjoyed getting to know Noah, man. He was an awesome dude. Yeah. And I uh, really enjoyed his, his story. His, and coming back from that back injury, too, like he was never going to play again and then ended up obviously playing and now on at the professional level. Um, a lot of my picks have been biased because uh, I like guys who interview well and who make our job easier. So I'm going Garrett McGinn. Did you okay. did you G-Mac. have a crossover with GMAC? Yeah, I had one year with GMAC. Uh, right. He was cool. He he was the biggest, you know, one of the biggest leaders, kind of like my first college football leader that I really had. And he was a very big and important part of the team. Um, you know, when I first kind of met him, I was like, dang, this dude is huge. He is big. Um, <laughs> And loud and, and funny and talkative, but, you know, he was he was very important to our team, you know, that year. And, you know, he's still playing professionally as well. Um, so that, that's great for ECU and great for him. Yeah, I love Garrett, man. He, uh, like you said, awesome personality. Like, we would go to him. I felt bad because, unfortunately, the, the last few years, the teams were not good. But he gave mm-hmm. such awesome sound bites, and he, he spoke the truth, man. And he yeah. spoke the truth after y'all beat UNC your freshman year. And it was awesome. He got emotional. He would get emotional when when the team struggled because he put so yeah. much into it. So he was yeah. he was raw, emotional, and he was a great player. I mean, he was yeah. just an awesome player. So Garrett began my pick, uh, but there have been several. Uh, somebody mentions Adam El Sawi, uh, who was uh, I believe a Campbell transfer from back in the day. Really good right t- tackle for uh, the Rough McNeil teams. Kind of a super smart, intelligent guy. So. 
Uh, I would definitely always... say Deontay Smith also. Oh, yeah. Um, playing for the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, Bengals right now. Um, played with him for a few years. He was also a great leader and a very good guy to talk to. Um, got a lot of lessons from him, just how he carried himself around the locker room. And I know he was a lot of the – you know, leaders for even Noah. I know him and Noah had a very close relationship. And, you know, you can see some of that rubs off. Um, so Deontay Smith is up there, too. That's my top five. Yeah, top five, Macy O'Donnell, DC <laughs> offensive lineman. I like it. Uh, that reminds me, too, of Fernando Fry, who was another guy who – Yeah. he. I don't even think he was a preferred walk-on, Macy He said he just showed up because his girlfriend came here or something, and he just, like, walked <laughs> onto the team. And somehow – he. I think he may even still be playing professionally, too, but he was another yeah. guy who – who kind of came out of nowhere, became a key piece of the offensive line. So there have been yeah. some great stories and uh, love the offensive line. And, hey, we've met, we, we've gone nearly 35 minutes talking about offensive linemen. So if any of your uh, former teammates give you crap about not <laughs> giving them enough love, uh, be, be sure to send them this podcast. Yeah. yeah they, they know I love all those guys. You, you said Fernando Five, but there's many, many more guys I could say and say nice things about. Um, and just to piggyback what you were saying off the NIL, um, you know, we, we really do need – you know, you guys to pay a lot of attention to Team Boneyard and, you know, help the student athletes out, not just football, but all of our sports. Um, you know, it's just the times are changing. And to be completely honest with you, this is the first year we've had a not an issue, but just, you know, the first time we've had a situation where guys are leaving, um, you know, largely because of NIL. Um, so if we want to keep our guys, you know, we got to be able to keep our guys. Um, so definitely, if you guys are watching and take a look at this podcast, you know, go check Team Boneyard out and you know, give back to ECU and give back to our student athletes. They, they do a lot for the for the program and for Greenville. He is Macy O'Donnell. Well said, my man. Well, uh, we uh, we 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 did the job. We got through offensive line. Yeah. Now, now now we switched to defense. Somebody uh, tweeted at me said we should get Xavier Smith on for for defense. <laughs> so should we go like trio? Should we get a uh, yeah. trio going for? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to X. We can get X on. We'll, we'll talk to X for sure. Okay, we'll definitely we'll try and do that. We'll see if X will come on, but. This has been fun, man. We've gone through the offense. I don't know if we're going to do special teams, but we'll at least make it through defense and uh, and see where things stand there. So uh, we'll go defensive line next week. I got to figure out. Maybe we can talk to Jeremy about this. Like, do we do we include Jeremy as a defensive line? I know he's an outside linebacker, but like he's playing on the line of scrimmage. Like that always yeah. confuses me. So yeah. we could probably, go probably D line. Yeah, we'll go D line for the edge room because you know they're basically. Defensive ends, outside linebackers, they study together. So we'll, we'll we'll do it that way. And then we'll go inside linebackers and then secondary. So we'll do it that way. All right, Maceo, this was fun, man. Yeah. We'll be back uh, next week. And uh, thanks for your insight as always, dude. Yeah, for sure. All right, that's Maceo Donald. I'm Stephen Igo. This was your offensive line preview on the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you guys for listening. My 13-year-old acts like a puppy again. Almost overnight, she's a different dog. Perfect poops. When people switch their dog's food to the farmer's dog, the effects can seem like magic. But there's no magic involved. It's simply real meat and vegetables with all the nutrients dogs need, instead of highly processed pellets. No tricks, just smarter, healthier pet food delivered in packs portioned for your dog. It's amazing what real food can do. Get 50% off your first order at thefarmersdog.com slash nomagic50.